Perspective Left by Mabel Watson Center, an independent feminist nonprofit comprehensive health care provider in Bangor, Maine. Join us as we explore topics that impact our sexual and reproductive health and lives. Here's your host, Aspen Rulin. Aspen uses they, them pronouns and is our client and community advocate. Hello and welcome back to the first episode of Reproductive Left for 2024 and for our winter access season. I'm your host Aspen, I use they them pronouns, and today we'll be talking about sterilization. Later in the episode, we'll be joined by Dr. Rachel, who uses she her pronouns, the fabulous family medicine doctor who's performing vasectomies at Mabel Wadsworth Center. Before we have her answer questions, let's dive into the topic of sterilization. What is it, who does it, and why? Now, I'm not talking sterilization like bleaching your counters, though you probably could have guessed that. Here, we're talking about sterilization as methods people use to make it so they can't reproduce, whether that's getting pregnant or getting other people pregnant. This is different from your typical contraception, as sterilization is intended to be permanent. In some situations, sterilization can fail or be reversible. First, let's chat types of sterilization. For people who can get pregnant, people who are assigned female at birth, we have a few sterilization options. Most well known is probably tubal ligation, commonly called getting your tubes tied. While tubal ligation is actually a broader category that includes tubal removal, we are going to separate tubal removal out for our purposes in this episode, largely because most people associate tubal ligation with just being getting your tubes tied. So, for getting your tubes tied, the fallopian tubes, which is how eggs get to the uterus, are usually clamped closed with a small ring or clip. Because the fallopian tubes are still there, it is possible to have this procedure reversed if someone changes their mind, but it's definitely not a guarantee that someone who's had it done will be able to get pregnant. So you should only get it done if you know you don't want to get pregnant in the future. That said, it's also not infallible. Some more recent research has found that the failure rate is comparable to that of IUDs, with some data showing that IUDs may actually be more effective at preventing pregnancy than having your tubes tied. Even if the egg is not getting through, you'll also still have a period since your ovaries are producing all of the same hormones as before surgery. As mentioned, there's also tubal removal. Like I mentioned, it's also considered in the overarching category of tubal ligation, but I have it separated out here because, again, most people think of it as being, you know, getting your tubes tied for ligation. And having your tubes removed can be a much different decision for folks. As stated, while getting your tubes tied can, in theory, be reversed, it's best practice to view it as permanent and be fairly certain you don't want to get pregnant in the future. Tubal removal is more permanent, as the fallopian tubes are removed. Unsurprisingly, this results in lower risk of pregnancy occurring and a higher efficacy rate than both IUDs and getting tubes tied. Just like with getting tubes tied, having them removed won't stop menstruation. It just means there isn't going to be that teeny tiny egg in your cup, pad, or tampon. 
Another pro to tubal removal is that it's now thought that many instances of ovarian cancer begin in the fallopian tubes. If you have the fallopian tubes removed, that could significantly reduce risk of developing ovarian cancer while keeping your ovaries. While not sought out as often for the exclusive purpose of sterilization, there's also hysterectomy or surgical removal of the uterus. This can include removing the fallopian tubes, ovaries, cervix, or any combination of those organs, but it depends on the patient's needs and the plan they make with their surgeon. If someone has cancer, a total histo that takes all of those organs makes a lot of sense, especially depending on the specific type of cancer they have. Let's say you're a trans man who doesn't want the uterus or for your body to be making estrogen. You'll probably want a total hysterectomy as well. Maybe you're trans or cis, don't want to be able to get pregnant, don't want to menstruate, and don't want to take replacement hormones. Just removing the uterus itself might meet your goals. As someone who has considered elective sterilization myself, I know if you're going this route, your surgeon may also suggest having your cervix removed since you can't get cervical cancer if you don't have a cervix. All of the methods described so far can be done laparoscopically, meaning small incisions are made instead of the abdomen being fully opened up. Exactly how surgery would be done for you would depend on a lot of factors, so this is important to talk with a surgeon about. For people who want to not get others pregnant, folks assigned male at birth, there's typically one pretty straightforward option, vasectomy. While orchiectomy, or having the testes removed, is quite effective at making it so you can't get anyone pregnant, that's considered more of a side effect, as it's not sought out as a sterilization method due to the other impacts that it has. Most often, orchiectomies are performed due to testicular cancer or as gender-affirming care. Vasectomies, which we'll talk about with Dr. Rachel, are minimally invasive and you don't even have to be put under to have it performed. That doesn't mean you go into a vasectomy without any medication. There are different options depending on who your provider is and your own medical needs, but vasectomies are often done with some form of conscious sedation or other medication to help you relax. The scrotal area is numbed with lidocaine, a small incision is made, and the vas deferens is cut or sealed. The vas deferens is the tube that carries sperm from the testes to the prostate to pick up the rest and, honestly, majority of seminal fluid, and then back out the penis during ejaculation. It's a bit of a convoluted loop-de-loop -loop process, but it does make vasectomies not too, too difficult. Because the reproductive system for people with penises is set up the way it is, it also means that vasectomies don't inhibit the ability to ejaculate or produce testosterone. It just means that the ejaculate won't contain sperm. Vasectomies can be reversible, but like with other sterilization methods we discussed, they should be approached as permanent. Additionally, while they have a high efficacy rate, they can also fail. This is why it is 
so supremely important that after a vasectomy, you follow instructions on amount of time to wait before having unprotected sex and to do any requested testing from your doc to see if any swimmers are getting through. Now that we've covered the nitty gritty, let's take a quick break for Mabel's Fast Fact. About 75% of people with vaginas don't orgasm from penetrative sex alone. Learn more in our show notes or at MabelWadsworth.org. And we're back. Now, I want to get into the access element of sterilization, hence the season theme. Something I won't talk about too much today, but still want to name is forced or coerced sterilizations. This is the practice of removing someone's reproductive capacity against their will. Historically and presently, the people most impacted by this are black people, indigenous people, immigrants, disabled people, and poor people. This is why MainCare actually has a great proactive policy to prevent this, requiring patients with MainCare seeking elective sterilization to sign a consent and have a month waiting period ahead of the procedure, as coerced sterilization frequently occurs while an individual is giving birth and vulnerable. But what about people who want to be sterilized? People who are not being coerced or lied to, but just know they don't want to reproduce, either at all or anymore. Well, it depends. The people seeking out vasectomies are most often cisgender men, and while finding a provider and cost can be barriers, cis men are typically able to otherwise get a vasectomy without issue. Their provider will talk to them about expectations and risks, just as with any procedure, and they'll likely sign a consent form demonstrating they understand that this may be a permanent loss of their fertility. But they likely will not be denied this care, regardless of if they have children or their marital status. Want to get sterilized but you're assigned female at birth? It's often more complicated. Trans folks in this camp both face barriers to gender-affirming care that would accomplish this and a medical system that is generally more okay with them not having the capacity to reproduce. Race also plays a factor here. Where Black and Indigenous cis women historically and presently face forced sterilization, White cis women are often discouraged from or flat out told they aren't allowed to be voluntarily sterilized. While my own exploration into voluntary sterilization led me to a lovely and autonomy-focused provider, there are many doctors out there who will tell AFAB people, cis women in particular, that they can't be sterilized until they're 35, or they have a certain amount of children, or without a signature from a husband, even if they aren't married or straight. It's important to note that none of these things are laws. In some places, they may be hospital policy, but most often, these are examples of providers within a patriarchal medical system who place their perspective on what they expect women to be over women's autonomy. 
Leading institutions in reproductive care recognize that patient autonomy is essential when it comes to access to elective sterilization, not preconceived notions of what someone should do with their reproductive capacity. Now, this doesn't mean that if you are someone with the capacity to get pregnant, you'll never find a provider willing to sterilize you. Like I said, when I was looking into it for myself, the one and only doctor I met with was on board and supportive, and there are a lot more like her out there. There are absolutely supportive surgeons out there who will give you the care you know is right for you. If you've been trying to access elective sterilization, but haven't been able to find a provider willing to do it, there are some great resources online for finding a provider who will. If you're a Mabel's patient, your provider with us can refer you to a surgeon who will listen and work with you. With that, let's take one last Mabel's Fast Fact break before I chat with Dr. Rachel. If someone living with HIV has an undetectable viral load, that means they cannot transmit HIV to another sexual partner. Learn more at MabelWadsworth.org or in our show notes. Thank you so much for joining me today. As mentioned at the top of the episode, Dr. Rachel is a family medicine doctor and vasectomy provider extraordinaire. That first title is her real one, which I emphasize to share that this is care you don't have to see a specialist for. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Aspen. I'm so happy to be here. Really excited to chat today. Um, so... Before we get into questions, do you want to give us just like a quick rundown? I know I talked about it earlier in the episode, but from a medical provider, what is a vasectomy? Great question. So one of the things that um, I, I like to tell folks about vasectomy is that there's like a whole range of ways that you can get it done. Um, if you are really interested in not being awake at all for the procedure, you can go to a urologist, you can go to the OR and be under anesthesia. That's not what we do here. Um, what we do here is more of a uh, an outpatient procedure. Um, a person will get some anxiety medicine beforehand to relax their nerves and relax the muscles of the scrotum. Um, you're awake for the whole procedure. Um, and once the lidocaine is administered to the scrotum, there's not much pain. Some folks re uh, report like a uh, tugging sensation mm -hmm. or maybe a little bit of um, like a weird feeling, but there shouldn't be any pain. Yep, and I had, I've had lidocaine several times. Um, I have next put on the birth control implant in your arm. Yeah. And it's one of those things that lidocaine works so much better than you'd think it would. And I'm just mentioning that to emphasize to folks who are like, all you get is lidocaine. Like, lidocaine is serious business. Yeah, one of the cool things is that the vast deferens, which we're working on, lies right under the skin of the scrotum. And so we really only have to anesthetize a very small portion of the skin for people not to feel pain. About one in four patients get a, a fleeting kick in the groin sensation when that lidocaine goes in. But my patients have told me that that's, um, that's the most discomfort they feel throughout the procedure. The other thing I like to tell people is that we're not slicing anything open. I do a no scalpel vasectomy, Ooh. which means that at the end, um, the scrotal skin heals so well that um, it barely even looks like there was anything done to the scrotum. Uh, so it's a very non-invasive procedure. Um, often we can put on music or chat and it can be kind of a nice time. I love that. I love to hear that. So that description out of the way, what do you think are the top three important things for people to know about vasectomies? 
So one of the things that a lot of folks ask me about when I'm counseling them on vasectomies is um, what this will do to their sex drive and to their, lib their libido. So I, I want to reassure people, as Aspen mentioned earlier in the episode, vasectomies do not affect anything other than the passage of sperm um, the cells that are half of a pregnancy into the semen. So it doesn't affect your libido or your sex drive. It doesn't affect your ability to get or sustain an erection. Uh, it, it, you even will still produce semen when you ejaculate. There just won't be sperm in it. Yep. And uh, fun fact, I was double checking the math on this for this episode. Sperm only makes up like two to 5% of seminal fluids. Oh, that's so interesting. Yep. So maybe your seminal fluid will be reduced by 2%. <laughs> Very minimal amount. You yes. probably won't notice. <laughs> um, another thing that I like to tell people about vasectomies is um, the procedure itself is fairly simple, as I mentioned, and usually people feel fine afterwards. Um, but a huge way to help, help yourself guarantee a successful recovery and healing is to undertake proper postoperative care, even if you feel great. So a lot of people feel fine after getting a vasectomy, but it's really important to lie flat on your back for at least 24 hours uh, with your testicles at the same level as your heart and take it very easy for about 48 hours. Mm -hmm. And that's because the scrotum is an enclosed space. So you can imagine that whatever um, inflammation or blood collects there doesn't easily get pumped back to the heart. So yeah. you want your testicles at the same level as your heart so everything can flow the way it needs to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, other tips that can um, help for successful healing, don't have sex or masturbate for a week, and use ice and ibuprofen to reduce the swelling. Mm -hmm. Um, finally, the last thing I'd like to share with people is uh, that a vasectomy is not complete until you've brought the semen sample in for a lab technician or a physician or um, whatever health professional to look at it under the microscope. Um, we need to look at it under the microscope and verify that there's no sperm living or dead in that seminal fluid. Yep. Um, that's usually about six weeks later, six mm -hmm. weeks or 30 ejaculations later. Um, and... Um, if, if you do have sperm present, sometimes we'll sort of ask you to come back in another week or two. Sometimes it just takes a little bit more time for the sperm to get out of the system. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and if it's still not successful then, uh, what may have happened is that the vas deferens segments regrew and recanalized. Yep. Um, a very small percentage of the population actually has three vas deferens. Wow. Um, or the other possibility is that whatever we transected was um, you know, just sort of t redundant tissue and not the best deference. Yeah. Um, so we have to make sure that you, you don't have any swimmers before you can <laughs> safely use this as birth control. Uh, so definitely use backup contraception if you don't want to get pregnant in the meantime. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, I feel like that's a good example of, you know, we have a very good understanding of how the reproductive system works. And also human bodies are all very different and they do weird things sometimes. Absolutely. And that's not weird in a pejorative way. That's just all of our bodies are weird. Um, but sometimes it can be in an inconvenient way. So that's why that follow-up is very important. Uh, so what is the biggest misconception that people have about vasectomies? I think there's a lot of um, talk in the news right now about vasectomies being a reversible form of sterilization. Mm -hmm. um, technically, vasectomies are reversible, but the process can be really costly and intensive. Okay. Um, I'm not sure there's anyone in the state of Maine that does it right now. Uh -huh. 
Um, I recommend that you consider a vasectomy a permanent form of sterilization. Um, and, and part of the reason I say that is because there are some great long-term non-permanent options out there, although not for people with scrotums or penises. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is an area we uh, definitely need to make some more medical progress on, is Absolutely. giving folks who can cause pregnancies more options. You know, they shouldn't be so limited to, like, you get one and it's permanent. Right, right. <sighs> but, uh, so... Your area of focus within sterilization is vasectomies, but I know that you are familiar with sterilization as a general topic. What have you noticed in your work, whether from patients or other providers, is different in how sterilization is approached depending on whether the patient in question can get pregnant or can get other pregnants, other people pregnant rather? How much of it do you think is logistics versus weird gender stuff in our culture? That's such a great question, and I can say that over the course of my practice, the last you know five years, um, there's just been such a change in attitudes towards sterilization, mm-hmm. uh, both both for people uh, born female and people born male. Um, and it used to be kind of something you did once you were done with child rearing, um, you know, late 30s, early 40s, you just kind of retired a little bit. I'm seeing more and more folks uh, at younger ages, both people born female and people born male, who are looking for sterilization as a way to control their own fertility. Mm-hmm. And one of the cool things that I've noticed is that um, rather than it be kind of a retiring or like a, a letting go, um, it's really people taking an active role to control Ooh. their fertility and control their ability to get other people pregnant. So that's kind of been a cool um, a cool trend that I've noticed. I love that. Well, thank you so much for joining us for the end of this episode for questions. Is there any last thoughts that you had that you wanted to share with our listeners? I'd love to see you for a vasectomy, so please give Mabel's a call. Marvelous. Thank you so much again for joining us today, and thank you to our listeners for joining us as well. And we will see you next month for our next episode in our Winter Access series. 